Welcome to the Catch Them and Keep Them podcast with Melissa Glennie and Mark Altman. We're here to help you hire, engage, and retain the best talent to help you make your vision a reality. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Catch Them, Keep Them podcast. Mark, it's great to see you as always. How are you doing today? Oh, Melissa, I'm so fired up about uh, the state of American uh, politics after watching last night's debate. I'm really inspired. Oh, my God, right? You just hit the nail right on the head. Inspired is exactly the way I walked away from that. But seriously, you know, I think it really plays into what we're talking about today because I just was sitting there thinking, how can there be so much talking from two sides and a complete absence of dialogue? Yeah, um, yeah go ahead, go ahead, please keep going. No, no, please go ahead. Yeah, I agree. And Melissa, you know, I think, you know, our topic today about feedback is so relevant. It are, actually, I would say it's more relevant than it ever has because there's always been opportunities to give and receive feedback and things like that. But based on the challenges organizations are facing, whether it's remote communication, whether it's COVID response, whatever, there's such an inherent need for frequent feedback now. So, and you know, my biggest thing about feedback is feeling heard. And I, you know, I get frustrated that when people are giving or receiving feedback that they're they're motivated to do it um, if the outcome that they expect is achieved. And very often when people give, or very often when people decide to give and initiate feedback, if the person doesn't do what they want, accept the idea, influenced by their opinion, many people walk away and go, well, see, why did I even do that? You know, why did I even speak up? Why did they even say it? Because they're not going to do what I want them to do anyway. And so uh, feeling heard to me and the outcome of what would define feeling heard is such an important part of feedback. Well, you know, Mark, I think you make a great point. And I've always felt like there's so much emphasis in training on feedback on how to effectively give feedback. And it occurs to me that, you know, actually, let me back up because uh, after our last episode, I I decided I'm going to make a vow to you that I will do my very best on these episodes to incorporate sports analogies whenever possible. Sweet. (laughs) So, you know, I I was watching the game on Sunday and and, uh, it kind of popped into my head, you know, this, this relationship of giving and receiving feedback like a quarterback and receivers. You know, a quarterback can throw the ball, it, it, you know, textbook per, like, as, as perfectly as you can imagine. But if it's not received, if it's not caught, it doesn't count. And I feel like feedback is very similar in the way that so often I, I think that we think we're doing a good job of effectively giving someone feedback. But then the question is, if they don't receive it, it's like the tree in the forest. If it falls and no one's here, it did it. Did it happen? You know. <laughs> um, so I'm. It changes my view of feedback. Um, I think the the dynamic of it, or the um, the shift that I'm sensing in my own perception of the way feedback works, is less on giving feedback effectively, but more facilitating the receipt 
of the feedback. Well, I, 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 think, I think what's interesting is in your football analogy is what was going into my mind thinking that we've seen a hundred times, Melissa, is when a wide receiver is open and the quarterback doesn't see that the receiver is open and the mm -hmm. receiver comes back to the huddle and says, what, what does the receiver say? We're like, I was open, <laughs> right? So, you know, one of the things, um, my 13-year-old my plays basketball and we had a very similar conversation. I said, when you're out on the court with your teammates and someone isn't in the right position that they should be in, do you think they're more likely to respond to you when you're like, when you look at them and go, don't you know you're supposed to cover that guy? Don't you know I was open for the pass? Do you think you're really going to be heard or what if you said, hey, did you see that I was open on that? Because if it's framed as a question, see, this is the thing, Melissa. A lot of times when people give feedback, they're giving feedback to things that people already know. So if Tom Brady's receiver comes back to the huddle and says, you know, I was open, well, he very well may have known he was open and just opted for a different decision. But if it's hey, I was open and he already knew, you're just going to kind of feel it was condescending. Like, yeah, I know you were open. I saw it. But if yeah. it's, hey, did you see I was open? Or as I said to my son, instead of saying, did you know you're supposed to cover that guy? Say, hey, let's make sure we know who we're supposed to cover. Like, are you, can I help you in any regard there? Is there something you're not sure of? So asking a question instead of making a statement, I think is a good way to have a better chance of feedback being received as you were talking about. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, you know, and that leads me to a question that I have for you because I know you're very process oriented in the way that you work. Do you, and, and I know you work with a lot of companies on um, coaching on this very topic. Do you have a recommendation on particular steps or are there situations um, that or are there things that you would say need to exist in order to be able to even have a platform to consider giving feedback? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the most common area ways I help companies is performance management, right? Giving feedback on performance management. And, and I think there, there's the culture of feedback has to exist. I often say, Melissa, the, the highest compliment a leader could receive is if one of your team members feel comfortable initiating feedback. So we talk about giving and receiving, but how about one of your team members makes an observation about how you run a meeting, about how you give feedback to one of the peers, about how you provide directions to projects and tasks, about how you share your and articulate your expectations. So if you and I have someone that works for us and that person feels so comfortable that they could come up to us and say, hey, I noticed when you do blank, I had a suggestion for you if you're open to hearing it. And if that person felt like they could do that without fear of repercussion, without the fear that they're gonna get penalized some passive aggressive way, without the fear that there's gonna be some kind of retribution or grudge or consequence, that to me is the highest thing because if someone feels safe coming up to you unsolicited in offering their observations about you what's what's better respect than that yeah like the safety so the answer to your question is if you can create a culture where there's an open honest communication and open dialogue where there is no fear of repercussion and you will feel heard it all starts with that to me yeah yeah 
you know, the other, um, the other thing I was considering, I was thinking about in prep, preparing for today, thinking about all the situations that I've been in where um, I've given feedback to employees and, and just like you were referencing, felt like it didn't get through. Um, and, and I know that um, there's this impulse when you don't see the result or you don't see the change you were expecting to feel like it, it's um, because they just didn't want to or they're ignoring you or they don't care, you know? Um, so I, I try to, you know, pump the brakes on that kind of thinking and consider other options. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me because I've seen ways that people have, I'll say, have deflected the feedback. Um, for example, and, and I, I'm just curious to know your thoughts on this. Um, it's something called switch tracking. Okay. And real life example, I went away on vacation and came back to discover some things that happened while I was away and that weren't acceptable. And um, so I, I had to address it with the senior person who was overseeing things while I was gone. And the immediate response was, yeah, I know, but remember last year when you went away for two weeks and I held down the fort? And I, and I, yes, a totally valid point. I appreciate that. And, but that wasn't the conversation. And I think that happens re really frequently where people will, it, it's a, I don't know what kind of response mechanism you'd call it exactly, but in essence, what I'm saying is they sort of deflect what you're trying to say and switch to a new track. Well, and you know what? I got to tell you, Melissa, uh, that's a fantastic example because it happens a lot. I, I am a dumbfounded by how often I have a conversation with someone over the course of a, of a daily when I will ask someone something or I will give them feedback or something and they totally answer completely differently than what I asked. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing is in a leadership role, when people use that switch tracking technique or deflecting feedback, I think the hardest problem leaders have is getting irritated and frustrated that the person did it. And what I say to leaders all the time is, if, if in the example you gave, if the person says, well, don't you remember last year where I held down the fort? Like the way you just described that was beautiful. I sure did. And I'm really grateful that you did. However, <laughs> what I was asking you is blank. Yeah. Yet people get sidetracked. You talk about switch tracking the, the, the other person. But the leader themselves gets sidetracked because now they're getting emotional yeah. because they feel like they're deflecting the question. And how many people watched the debate last night? And I don't care who you like, Democrat or Republican, how many people sat in their chair and said, you're not answering the question, you're deflecting. <laughs> you, you know people did that on both sides all night. Yep. So I think what you're talking about, it's, that's where emotional intelligence comes in. Don't get rattled, don't get irritated, just play along. You know, like, yes, I sure do remember and move forward. And so I love, you know, and Melissa, you know, for you, what I want to know, and I think about this all the time in your line of work, is, you know, I talked about performance management, but you have one of the toughest conversations I think anybody has to have with your clients. When they want to hire someone that you find for them, you've talked to the candidate. And the candidate, you're like, so what'd you think? You think you want to take the job? What was your, and they're like, yeah, I didn't really like the person who interviewed or I didn't. And they give you negative feedback. Now you have to communicate that to not only the client, but the person paying your bills. Yeah. Like you now have to give them those news. 
And so I want to know how you do that, because that to me is as tough as it gets. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've been in some situations where, you know, I, I feel like I'm just uh, um, <laughs> trying to sugarcoat things that if you sugarcoat, it might as well just not even give the feedback, because, mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of cases. Um, so, you know, there's a, a constant kind of translation that has to go on. But I think that one way that I have been able to soften what could be a blow for someone in an interviewing capacity when I have negative feedback is setting the stage with my understanding. So kind of preempting any hurt or rejection that they might feel by, and, and I, it's hard for me to come up with an example right now, but if I, if I can lead in with saying, listen, you know, I realize in your situation or in your environment, you're dealing with X, Y, Z. And so I'm, I'm already saying like, I understand how this could happen. Um, and then, and then delivering the feedback. So uh, I guess just create a little bit of validation for them before the, the corrective suggestions that I have. Um, you know, that, that has, in my experience, helped to, um, uh, I guess, just facilitate the message a little bit. Uh, but it's, it's really difficult, you know, with, it, I, I find particularly with interviewers um, for them to adapt their style. That, that being said, I've had some who have come back and said, you know, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable interviewing. I, I don't like doing it. And I, you know, I'm nervous going into interviews. And so, you know, they're very appreciative, but um, it's a delicate conversation, especially since they're the ones paying the bill and you want, you always want to be on their side, you know, want them to know that you're on, on their side and in their corner. And I think that's a, you know, that's a point that I would all, I would make for any feedback situation is it's coming from a place of I'm in your corner. And that's the reason that I'm, that I'm bringing this up to you. Well, you know, Melissa, it's funny. You said a few things that I'm thinking about, and one of them is, um, let's let's say that, let's let's just create one very simple rule with feedback, and it's a rule I know we both believe in, but let's just keep it simple for now, right? The rule is before you give feedback or share your observations, you ask for permission. That's a simple enough rule. So you call a client, the client's like, well, how'd it go? What did they say? And you're like, well, I'm happy to tell you. And they actually shared some feedback. Would you be interested in hearing it? You know, would you be open to hearing it? Now, I'm not saying that's the be all end all, but that is a foundational rule to start the process. Now you talked about the word sugarcoat, which is a fascinating word to me, because one of the things that I feel like people do is if you met someone, Melissa, that said, well, I'm gonna need to sugarcoat this a little bit. What are they really saying? They're saying that the person receiving the feedback won't be able to handle it, mm -hmm. may be reactive or conflict-oriented. And you know what I say to the people who say that? I go, how do you know you need to sugarcoat it? And I think what happens a lot is people convince themselves they need to sugarcoat it because they actually haven't taken the time to know if the other person could handle it. Yeah. And they really, it's really about them, Melissa, because if they feel like they have to sugarcoat it, they maybe would be uncomfortable giving the feedback. So they, they convince themselves, I better just sugarcoat it because I'm not sure if they can hear it. And, and, and so I, what I'm asking you is that I question people that, that you work with, and I don't know, I'm, I'm pleading ignorance on this, but I'm, I'm wondering 
how do the people that you work with who do the interviewing, whether it's a hiring manager, an HR, whatever, how do they know if they're good interviewers? Have they ever actually stopped to say to themselves, geez, I wonder if I'm good at this. Do they base it on if they find good candidates and the candidates end up taking the job? Well, that would be one criteria. But what are your thoughts on that, Melissa? Do the people doing the interview really feel like they have a handle and an aptitude? Do they have the proper way to assess whether they're actually good at it? Uh, I think that by and large, people interview in the way that they would like an interviewer to interview them. Um, I, you know, I see some that are primarily concerned with making the person feel comfortable and really, you know, um, singing the praises of the company and they just want them to walk out feeling super charged up about everything. Um, and then, you know, in, in terms of their own uh, assessment of the individual, um, they're, they're willing to share that with me, but, you know, they're not concerned about having a dialogue with the individual personally. Um, and then I find others who look at it more as a, um, an exploratory process that they're going through with the candidate. Mm. And, um, and, and, and yeah, so just kind of going back to it, everybody seems to have a different style and everyone metabolizes feedback, I think, in different ways. And, you know, it's very human for us to um, project the way we would like things and the way we work onto the way that we treat people and interact with people. So I find that those, um, you know, those personal preferences tend to um, project as, as with a lot of things in the feedback process and in the, in the interview process alike. Well, and that's a great point. I, I, you know, my simple, when I teach people communication skills, there's a foundational piece I teach and it's pretty simple. And I'm gonna preface my comment by saying, um, nothing is black and white. Things are situational. There is not one size fits all to handle every situation. However, I would say to you that the difference between giving feedback, assume you asked permission, like we already talked about, but there's four simple rules that constitute good feedback. You should be assertive and give feedback if you're using the proper words, you're using the proper tone, you're using the proper body language, and your and your 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 active and reflective listening skills are on display. If you're doing those four things, then that is giving assertive feedback. You cannot control how someone receives your feedback. As the as Bill Belichick says, do your job. The only thing you can control is how you deliver it. And are you being respectful? And are you being authentic? And, and was this really important to provide this feedback on this topic? If you're doing those things, you're doing your job. You just can't attach the outcome to the value of doing it. Because once, once you walk away from the conversation and say, well, they didn't hear one word I said, and they got defensive, and they did switch tracking, and they did all those things, you're going to be second guessing yourself for life. You have to have a template that you believe is the right way to do it, regardless of the outcome. Mm. I think you're raising a really good point. And now I have a question. Do you think that there are situations and, and maybe even people that you're dealing with where you would say, not wise to give the feedback? I do, definitely. Um, and, and, and 
I was in a situation a couple of days ago where I had to give tough feedback to a CEO that I was working with for their company. And um, I look at it a little differently. I think you're right. There definitely are. But when I encounter those people, I try to get to the root cause of why someone would feel that way. So if you said, Mark, there is no way I would give feedback to that person because when they've received feedback in the past, oh my God, it's a whole argument and they get defensive and whatever. And see, the problem, Melissa, is people are convinced that when they've tried something with someone one, two, or three times, that it's about the other person. And I would argue that in many of those times when we conclude people are not open to feedback, it's because the feedback wasn't delivered in a kind and respectful and, and curious way in the first place. And it was the way it was delivered that had people convinced the other person can't hear it. Mm -hmm. So yes, there would be other people, but I think we conclude people are not open to feedback way more than we should based on the two roles in the conversation, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, no, I would agree with you, absolutely. And like I was saying earlier, like I think that people metabolize feedback different in their own ways. And some, um, some just really let it roll to the point where it barely any sinks in, while others might take the, the kindest, slightest suggestion of an adjustment they need to make, and they'll remunerate on it and just beat themselves up and, you know, have it really affect them in a negative way. Um, and, and it's interesting now that I'm saying that, that, you know, I think that that may, maybe that's what creates apprehension and fear for people giving feedback is, is their own perception of how they handle it. You know, I don't know. I'm just kind of uh, surmising that maybe that's part of what's behind it. Um, but, uh, you know, my personal experience when I was younger, I, if somebody could give me corrective criticism and be very kind about it, and I could not let it go. I, I would be thinking about it for a week and losing sleep and, you know, really feeling like, oh my God, I failed and they're never going to see me the same way. And, um, and I, I mean, granted, thank God, you know, <laughs> we get wiser as we get older because I, I don't do that any longer. But, um, you know, it's just interesting to me that people, are, are so different. And, you know, the longer I've been doing this, the more I realize that um, how, the, the, how stark the differences can be in these communications. Well, you touched upon two things that I, I would love to talk about. One is, um, I, I don't know when in our world, when we adopted the phrase constructive criticism, <laughs> it's a fascinating phrase to me because apparently, we put such an emphasis on the word constructive. So now you're gonna give me feedback, but because it's constructive, now I feel better about it. As opposed <laughs> to the word criticism, which is the root of the problem, not the first word, it's the second word, I... right? So to me, um, framing, and, and we don't have enough time in the show today to get into this, but framing the criticism or framing the feedback or whatever word we're gonna use is huge. Because if I sit, if you work for me and I sit you down and I say, well, Melissa, forget criticism. I don't even use the word criticism. I say, Melissa, I, I'd like to, if you're open to it, I'd like to give you some constructive feedback. Let's say you said that. Anybody who is on the other end of that conversation is waiting to get criticized. 
Like they immediately hear constructive feedback and they're like, oh, here we go. What did I do wrong? Or what do I need to do better? And maybe not everybody, but I think it's the way things are framed that often get the conversation off to a bad start in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Listen, you made me think of something I had completely forgotten about. And that is instant versus delayed gratification with feedback. Now, you know, you're a proud mom. And if you say something to one of your daughters that you notice they could do better and you give them feedback, what is the likelihood your daughter is going to give it to you and go, oh my God, mom, thank you so much for that feedback. Where would I be without you? I'm so glad you told me that. You're not getting that. Right. So what I think we've talked about the other end of the spectrum, but what I think a lot of leaders struggle with is if they don't get that instant gratification of seeing the results and the response that they want right off the bat, then it's like, well, they didn't hear me. But Melissa, how many times in your life has a client or a friend or your husband or a child said to you a month, two months, six months, a year after you gave feedback, hey, you know what, Melissa, remember when you told me that thing six months ago? Boy, I really see the benefit of that now. You know, that happens all the time. But if we as human beings don't get that instant gratification of, yes, I heard you and thank God you were there and, and, and the actions start immediately as a response to the feedback, I think, I think a lot of leaders get discouraged and don't think they're being heard. And what made me think of that is your point is people process things differently. Sometimes it takes people a day, a week, a month to really have that feedback hit home. So I think that's a huge aspect of this. Yeah, I think you're right. And you know, I, I, as you're as you're talking, I I was just reflecting on what you the question point that you raised earlier in asking you know asking for the permission to provide the feedback, and I I actually think that that can possibly be round uh, used in rounding out the conversation effectively and asking for an agreement to try things. Yes differently going forward because um, then the person has skin in the game before they're leaving the conversation if they're willing if they say yeah. no i disagree with you well that's another story yeah i love that and and even like even if you used what would be the ideal phrase developmental feedback let's yeah. go with that, developmental feedback so again developmental feedback could even trigger people to think, oh, well, I guess I'm not good enough and I need to develop more, like the, even then. But the thing is, is if you work for me and I said, you know, Melissa, I tell you, you've been doing a great job for the company and I've got some observations about some steps you could take that could really um, help you move further in the organization or help fast track your career or help you get that promotion you want or the raise you want or whatever. Now, if you put it in terms like that, now I'm giving you feedback that's going to help you. Now it's about you and why you would want it, as opposed to why I feel the need to give it. That, to me, is where the game changes. And so if you can, can do the causality of the why, then I think then it doesn't matter whether it's constructive feedback, development, it's connecting with the person on why they would need to know it and hear it. Man, Mark, like... And like so many of these topics that we cover, it, it seems like so often it just circles back around to influencing people. I mean, bottom line, um, you know, the, like I'm thinking about 
uh, sales trainings uh, that I've been on in my experience dealing in sales situations. And, you know, I feel like that's helped me as a parent because what you're talking about right now, you know, I, coming, coming to the conversation from the standpoint of how you're actually going to be able to ease some pain for the person. But if you're speaking to them uh, without any regard for what the potential pain is that you're trying to help solve, and it's just about you and, you know, whoever else, then, um, you know, the message doesn't get so get, get, get through so, so smoothly. But uh, I think what you're saying is um, spot on. Well, and, and, you know, um, a lot of leaders, you know, such a difficult job of being a leader is adapting your style to the different people you manage. And mm -hmm. a lot of times I'll hear leaders say that if they have to adapt a certain way, they feel like they have to walk on eggshells. People are overly sensitive and so on and so forth. But Melissa, your word was the word. Your job as a leader is to be an influencer, mm -hmm. right? It's to be a motivator and an influencer. And like, you don't like, I don't know about you, but when you go to college, this is one of my complaints about where we're at with colleges. And I'm not going to go on this long rant right now, but you know, to me, when you go to college in business, how many courses in college teach you how to be an influencer? Mm. You know, like, like where are those courses to know how to influence, motivate people? If you're a teacher, where is the, how to engage people in a classroom or in a remote learning environment? teaching how to engage human beings and make yourself interesting and, and, and meaningful. Like this stuff is not being taught. And I just, at the end of the day, you know, so much about conversation and communication is knowing what the right buttons to press are and knowing how to reach and connect with people in an authentic way. Um, and so many people, it's so disheartening, Melissa, like so many people just still don't get that. And it's all about influence. It's all about that. So and and you know, in my experience, I, I feel like influencing people, you have to realize it's all about that person and not at all about you. I, in terms of speaking, in terms of the conversation, um, you know, I, I I swear one of these days I'm gonna write write a book and uh, and it's and and the theme of it really is like it's not about you. Like in, in reflecting on situations in my life and the way that things have unfolded, I, I just realized like, wow, you know, so, so often if we can walk into a room and approach people as though everything is about them and no one else, it, it just, it, the response that I get is just so remarkable as compared to when you go in with your own agenda and let your agenda be known um it's a it's a completely different dynamic and a completely different outcome from my experience well i think that's spot on and my final thought for today melissa is you know the expression we hear in customer service like no one wants to be treated like a number right, right. like you're in the supermarket the deli grabbing that number no one wants to be treated like a number and everybody can relate to that i mean I, i've never heard a person say yes i want to be treated like a number like no one would say that so if we all know that to be true, if we all know we wouldn't want to be treated like a number, then what you're saying is the, is the rule of thumb. And it's not about your agenda. It's not about dominating your agenda. And it's about treating people as individuals so they don't feel like they're part of a herd or part of a group that's one size fits all. Yep. Yep. 
Well, so I think, you know, just in kind of wrapping up, I, I just have to state again, because I think what you said in the beginning was so brilliant that asking for permission to provide the feedback and providing it in such a way where it's presented as though it's going to, it's for the receiving party's benefit. Um, and the uh, being assertive, using proper words, tone, body language, and the active and reflective language. Um, and, and then, you know, I'll just kind of circle back to, I love the, I love the questioning. I think if you can ask more questions than, than make statements, that is always a, uh, a better way to have a conversation with people. So um, wrapping up the conversation with another question and engaging and, and getting their agreement to try something different and, um, and um, uh, yeah, get their skin in the game. Uh, I think that, that we've covered a lot of good tips and someday I, I hope that maybe we can write a chapter with phrases for feedback. <laughs> Awesome. Well, and, and I did think of one last thing, Melissa. You know, one of the things I've been really encouraging leaders to do lately, and I want to take a step back because this is very important. It's interesting how we would define the word feedback, because actually, if you have one of your employees come to you with an idea, they're giving you feedback. Like that's giving feedback. Like they say, Melissa, I have an idea. I'd like to give you feedback about the idea I have, right? So there's a lot of different ways to give feedback. What I'm encouraging, especially C-suite leaders to do, but really all leaders to do is, when someone wants to give you feedback, an idea, an opinion, an observation, a thought, it doesn't matter. You know what I want them to start the conversation with? Is I wanna make sure at the end of this conversation you feel heard. How can I make sure you're, you feel heard in this conversation? And when I say that to leaders, they're like, well, that feels like kind of an awkward question. I said, but this is the thing people already have it in their own mind what the rules of feeling heard are. Don't you want to know what they are? Don't you want to know what their expectations of are you in that conversation so you may have a chance to meet them if you want to? So I think that's a final thought today, uh, my second final thought today, is um, ask people what, how they'll feel heard at the beginning of the end of the conversation. At the end of the conversation, did you feel heard? You know, and I think that's really important because we're running around and we're checking things off our list. I don't think people take the time to make sure that the person get, that was sharing felt heard. Oh, absolutely. Oh my God, if we can get that message to the world, <laughs> we'll all be in a better place. It's true, it's true. Well, that's a great place to stop for today and just let people think on that one. I love it. Thanks again, Melissa. Thanks for joining us on the Catch Him and Keep Him podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss us next time. In the meantime, remember that engaging your people is a daily task and recruiting is a process, not an event. If you need help, just ask. Connect directly with Melissa at franklinprofessionals.com and Mark at mindsetgo.com.